As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. New VanCast to start the week. Jay Patton Rancher with you and Tom. Uh, the chaos is reigning now because uh, we've talked about this and uh, we saw on the weekend we did the special pod after the Canucks made the deal with the Dallas Stars to acquire Jason Dickinson. We broke that down. I think it was well received into a Saturday podcast. Uh, this is our Monday regular, but it's not a, mo- a regular week by any stretch in the hockey world and things are happening. Things are happening and they'll continue to happen. Like how crazy is it that at the end of this week we'll have the NHL draft like, have you even thought about the draft? I haven't, like, you know, thought that much about it. Today I woke up, I was like, I guess I better start calling all my scouts and <laughs> doing my pre-draft work. I've just been so focused on, you know, this roster freeze and the expansion draft and on and on. And, you know, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Canucks are going to make the ninth overall pick in the NHL draft. One of the weirdest NHL drafts in history on Friday. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I did a little bit of prep, more than a little bit of prep, around the lottery, obviously, and, and we talked Likewise. about it at length on the pod. But you're right, since then, uh, man, the draft has been an afterthought just because there's been so many other things to get to. And when we recorded on Saturday, uh, the Canucks had made the deal, then the roster freeze. We speculated, and, and you had it on good authority then, that the protected list was what it turned out to be. So... No surprises whatsoever from the Vancouver Canucks as far as the protected lists go, but man, some massive surprises around the National Hockey League. Yeah, the fundamental dynamic here now is not which players Seattle likes. It's what teams are going to also pay them for Seattle to take those players that they like, right? Uh, yep. If you're if you're the Kraken, you can take James Van Riemsdyk, but you can also take Jacob Voracek, who has an extra year on his deal, right? Do you think, is it worth something for to Philly 
to point you in Voracek's direction since that's a larger liability for them. You know, uh, Josh Bailey is an excellent two-way forward, but he's 31 and he's signed through 2024. He'd be great on a second line for the Kraken, but also, you know, what would be great is Josh Bailey and a second round pick. <laughs> Vladimir Tarasenko. Tarasenko, if he's healthy, he, you can build your whole first line around him and your first power play unit. But if I'm the Kraken, if I'm Ron Francis, I'm not just taking Tarasenko. I'm calling St. Louis and saying, you know what? I'm very happy with Zach Sanford. I'm very happy with Vince Dunn. I'd actually like you to give me one of them to take Tarasenko's cap hit, right? Like that is the fundamental test for Ron Francis and the crack in front office right now. It is a ruthlessness test. You have the ability to lord over the NHL for the next four days. No one else can do anything to protect themselves. That's already done. The die is cast and teams did redistribute, but now you have an opportunity to extract maximum value in the way that teams have laid this out for them. They should be able to build a year one playoff team and net some really substantial futures uh, for the next few years over the course of this week uh, with fascinating ramifications. Everything I've just said, the underlying logic of this week applies to the Canucks in a very straightforward fashion. If the Canucks want to offload Braden Holpe, right, they can they can either call Seattle's bluff believe that the Kraken are legitimately interested in Holpe and refuse to retain or pay up an asset. But how tempting is it going to be to pay Seattle to lock in that loss, to lock in losing that $4.3 million in cap, $5.7 million in salary? My guess, J-Pat, is it's going to be very tempting. And while I see that there's a bit of a Canucks fan consensus that the Canucks should not be shedding futures to shed cap space, and I understand that it sucks to give up a second round pick to get rid of a contract that the club signed like less than nine months ago, but boy, oh boy, they should do it. They, they really should do it. Um, I, I just think if you can shed $4.3 million in this process, if you can add Jason Dickinson, if you can accomplish both of those things for a pair of picks, like I will, I will cover the Canucks expansion experience in 2021 and have said they did pretty damn well for themselves, all things considered. Yeah, and I think we discussed this last week when this notion of Holtby uh, and something to Seattle started to surface. If it can be a future second rounder, like, not you know, their second rounder this year is in the top 40. So they're going to, right now, they have two picks in the top 40. They traded their third round pick to Dallas for Dickinson. If they could bump the pick down the road... I think yeah. I'd feel a little bit better about that. Totally. Do it in 2023 when, cause you don't have your third round pick next year because of Nate Schmidt, right? So if, but it, yeah, if you could bump it to 2023, but that's roughly market value based on the flurry comp from 2017. Now, granted, the cost of getting off cap space may be more significant this time. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, that's a no brainer, especially if you can insulate 2021 second. Uh, I mean, you could say 2022 second too, but the Canucks have enough business to attend to moving Schmidt and on and on that I think they'll be able to recoup some picks if they really need to. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I'm not going to worry too much if it's bumped too far down the line. I think if you're able to protect your top 40 pick this time around, um, every, and everything else should be on the table basically, except ninth overall and their second round pick in 2021. For me, for me anyway, that's sort of how I gauge their overall value. And and you know what, J-Pat, this is also because I know, I get it. Like, I get that fans are tired of seeing the Canucks trade draft picks. Like, I get it. But also, this team's at a different stage 
in my view, of their development. Um, they've kind of missed some of the opportunities that come with rebuilding. Like, they've kind of missed that. And now they're positioned as a team with very minimal cap flexibility and two really good core pieces, like elite pieces in Hughes and Pedersen, who are already 23-22 next season, right? Like, you can't keep waiting. You can't keep building for the future at this point. Like, you you kind of have to keep going. And, and yeah, it's too bad that the circumstances of where the Canucks are at with a relatively lean prospect pool, despite having, you know, an NHL roster with a ton of promising young pieces and, and no cap flexibility. Like it's, it's too bad that they're where they are at, that they didn't maximize the pain that the club experienced over the past few years, not even considering what happened this past year. Um, But I just don't see a way to detonate and kick the can further down the road. Like at some point you have to get better and for me, like that time was A, last year, but B, certainly this year. Like you cannot have another miserable season with high-end pieces at that age on your roster. But Horvat's going to be 27 if they don't make the playoffs next year. The next time the Canucks make, like, yeah, you have to be good next year, j You have to, right? Am I nuts? Well, no. I mean, the general manager's job probably depends on it. He has stated that they've got to get back to the playoffs. And so you put those two together, I think you're going to have a motivated general manager to make this team better. And I think that's what the Dickinson trade was. And and I'm with you. I mm-hmm. saw some pushback on social about, you know, Jim just can't help himself. He's always giving away draft picks. Like, the Stars didn't want to trade Jason Dickinson. Jason yeah. Dickinson... You know, they got Jason Robertson as well, so he wasn't, uh, he didn't have to be protected, but, but, you know, Dickinson was one of their top eight or nine forwards, and they couldn't keep them all. And so they wanted to get an asset, and they did, but they weren't giving them away. Like, there is a price to pay, and a third rounder is below market. So, again, I don't, like, look, I, I get it. And we are as critical as anybody of the Canucks in the big picture. And the Jason Dickinson trade doesn't all of a sudden make them front runners to win the Stanley Cup next year. It's a small step in the right direction. And so I think it has to be viewed as such. And and you can back off your criticism of the Vancouver Canucks for a moment when they do something that they had to do and they executed it pretty well. So I know we covered some of that on Saturday, but when I, I just saw the aftermath and I thought, like, what did people want? Like the well, stars and, don't, they're not giving what, this player away. Also, <laughs> what's not, the, what's the fun? Like, you can't be like the Canucks have to get something done before this crazy deadline and seize this unique opportunity and then be like, but they shouldn't have given away a draft pick. It's like, well, what, <laughs> right. what were you going to, what were you going to give away? This, this entire opportunity was based fundamentally on trading expansion exempt assets, right? For NHL ready assets that the Canucks can protect that other clubs couldn't. Uh, they, they, they seized that opportunity to some extent. They almost got more done. Uh, good. Like, that's good. This was, this is what that looked like. This is always what that looked like. It always looked like picks and or expansion exempt roster pieces or prospects for, you know, uh, am I still contractually obligated to bring them up? Mason Apple. Sure. Right. Like yeah. it, it, like it's, you know, that's always what this looked like. The Canucks sees that it was the right call. Uh, you know, for me too, with the way that like, on the one hand, I'm sensitive to the idea that the Canucks maybe should just ride out this one last season of pain with 19.3 million of, you know, inefficient money on their books. But also, you know, there's a real cost to being bad and there's an extra cost to being bad in this market. 
You know, J-Pat, in Florida, when the Panthers were bad, the impact was that you could hear a pin drop, right? Like, no one cared. We disappeared. We, we didn't exist in that marketplace when we weren't winning. In this market, the attention remains when the club is bad. It's just that it turns hostile, right? Like, it's just that everyone gets mad. And that's hard for guys to live through, right? On the In the wake of a disastrous step-back season in 2021, the COVID outbreak, the Vertanen thing, everything that transpired, the, the club cutting to the bone in terms of backroom staff, you're now seeing guys like Edler be like, yeah, I'm interested in pursuing another opportunity. Um, you're seeing guys like Nate Schmidt clearly open to being dealt. Um, you know, there's, there's a price to pay in this market, especially to being bad. And this club's been bad for so long. Like, I just don't think this club can afford to continue to not make progress. Like at this point, enough time has gone by. I think even a new general manager coming in, like even if you had regime change, right? Forget the motivation of a, uh, of self-preservation or what have you. I think if you hired a new general manager, what would be their plan for this team? It would be to get back to the playoffs pretty much right away because that's what this team needs to do at this stage of their development cycle. Like that's where they're at. And you know, I just, I just can't cry too much foul over mid-round picks considering where this club is at. I, I would cry foul, however, if they traded ninth overall. <laughs> That's a different equation. But, but I think you got to be willing to deal things like a third for Jason Dickinson. I think you have to be willing to deal things like a second to get off of Holpe's contract. Um, you know, especially when you look at what the lad move cost the Islanders. Like, if it's just a second to get off of Holpe, like, damn. That's that's good. That's good. Do that every day of the week for me. Um, I don't think the Canucks feel similarly, by the way. But, you know, that's how I sort of look at the underlying logic of this offseason and what the club is facing over the next few days while their roster is frozen. All the attention in the National Hockey League on the Seattle Kraken, the expansion draft, the picks are revealed on Wednesday. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. So one of the things we learned, Tom, over the weekend was there are a lot of really good defensemen that are available to the Seattle Kraken. Uh, you can't protect them all. And uh, obviously that wasn't the case around the National Hockey League. You know, just looking at possibilities. And again, the players Seattle takes on Wednesday, like this is just the starting point. There, there's no way that all the players they take on Wednesday will be in their opening night lineup. But this then gives them currency to, to start to wheel and deal. But just based on players available they could formulate a defense of Mark Giordano, Troy Stetcher, Hayden Fleury, Jake Bean, Vince Dunn, and Brendan Dillon. Like, those six guys are all available to them for selection. I think the Canucks would take that defense core right about now. Yeah, I mean, that's the second best defense core in the Pacific, right? I mean, uh, pretty loaded. I think Vitaly Vanacek might turn out to protect the, the wash of good capitals defenders that they've exposed yeah. here. But yeah, I mean, Brendan Dillon's an excellent, like <laughs> the Canucks biggest need probably right coming out of 
the first bit of the offseason, having added Dickinson and with Edler likely to depart. Like, it's a matchup lefty, right? A matchup lefty is need number one for me, especially because I do think you need to be able to insulate Rathbone, Hughes, and Yolevi, whichever two of the three play. I mean, we know it'll be Hughes. So whichever one of Yolevi or Rathbone win the job out of training camp, like, you're going to want a matchup lefty to finish that left side. Brandon Dillon fits the bill perfectly. Um, You know, it's going to be tough. Like, it's going to be tough for the Canucks to rebuild their defense core. And most of the players that we seem to hear them involved in, in terms of trade talks, certainly the guys that I've been hearing most uh, are forwards, like are up front. Uh, But there's, there's significant needs on that back end. They're going to need to find two or three pieces, depending on what happens with Schmidt here. Uh, it's not going to be straightforward here, uh, for sure. That defense core, that 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 that's the envy of the Pacific. The envy of the Pacific on day one, incredible, incredible. What what position the Kraken have been put in by their NHL counterparts? Yeah, and and Seattle's open for business, but they're also in the business of making the playoffs in year one and beyond. And Vegas has set that bar, and so I do wonder if you know, like. Seattle's going to do what's in its best interest. I totally get that. But at the same time, if all things were equal and they had two teams that were bidding on a player they select in the expansion draft on Wednesday, and one of those teams is the neighbor to the north and a team that you're in the same division with, like, you know, do they look elsewhere? Like, is there any way that Seattle wants to do business with the Vancouver Canucks if they have other options? Uh, yeah, I mean, I for sure, I for sure think they're going. We're going to see Seattle act as a like middleman here for for a variety of teams. And you know, Rick Dollywall reporting on Czech TV that the Canucks have inquired about Nick Bukestad, for example. Although I would imagine that uh, Kakinen, the the Minnesota Wild goaltender, just like Vanacek, right, is going to be a prime consideration for the Kraken. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of talk around the industry wondering if the Kraken will load up on a specific position and then pedal guys around the league. Vegas did it with defenders, but they got stuck with Jason Garrison. You remember? They got stuck with former Canuck and White Rock native Jason Garrison. They couldn't move him on even as they netted two seconds, a third and a fifth plus Vancouver area goaltending prospect Dylan Ferguson for, you know, the likes of Mark Mathot and Alexi Emelin and Trevor Van Riemsdyk and David Schlemko. So, you know, that worked for Vegas, but only to an extent. Uh, there's certainly chatter around the industry about whether or not the Kraken might explore something similar with goaltenders. You know, every team in the NHL seems to need a good backup right now. I mean, Montreal is going to need one if Carey Price is out. Um, certainly, uh, although maybe the Kraken won't deal with Montreal after all this shady shit they've pulled. Um, <laughs> uh, Vancouver will need a backup in the event that Braden Holpe leaves. Uh, Toronto certainly needs a backup. Nashville after Pecorino's retirement. Boston, uh, we know that Yarrow Halak's hitting the market. Um, like everyone needs a backup goaltender there. There's a lot of people wondering if, if Seattle might take a number, like the maximum number they could take would be seven, but people are wondering if they'll load up on goaltending talent and then schlep them around the league for returns. Certainly that's got to happen. Like that's got to happen because the expansion process permits you to take 30 players and you only have 23 spots on your roster. So navigating that is going to be a challenge for the Kraken and goaltending is certainly one area that a lot of people in this industry are looking at as, you know, potentially fruitful, something they might expect to see 
out of Seattle. And and this also comes back to the Holpe thing too, and the dynamics of Holpe. You know, there's been interest expressed in Braden Holpe, but it's qualified interest, J-Pad. It's not interest in Holpe at 4.3 and 5.7, right? It's interest in Holpe with money retained. It's interest in Holpe at a lower cap hit. Um, you know, in the event that the Canucks retain to move off of Holpe, for example, could the Kraken then retain again and net a good asset? And all of a sudden you're looking at Holpe for 2 million or Holpe at 1.15 million. Uh, that becomes a whole different proposition um, for NHL teams. And I think one that, yeah, probably does net you a pretty decent return, uh, whether it's whether it's right away after the expansion process or perhaps at the deadline. Just to recap something you said there, and, and I think a lot of people are probably, certainly the VIPs are fairly familiar with the expansion rules, but you said a maximum of seven goalies. Seattle has to take three. That's the bare minimum. And then they've got four wild cards, right? Like So that gets you to your the seven that you're talking about? Exactly. So you have to take 14, nine, and three. Absolutely yes. have to take 14, nine, and three, which brings you to 26, right? So you only have the wiggle room with four additional picks. So if you used all four additional picks on goaltenders, goaltenders you'd get to seven. Yes. Okay. It's just, again, uh, there's... Uh, and I know, all these weird permutations. Yeah, like, and, and that's great. I think uh, you want to be informed heading into Wednesday night to have a better understanding, ultimately, of how Seattle goes about uh, its decisions. I thought it was interesting that, th- by my count, and I, I double-checked, I don't think I missed anybody, but only four former Canucks were protected uh, by other teams, and one of them was Zach Cassian, and it sounds like he may be on the move out of Edmonton, but Tanev and Markstrom in Calgary, and Tyler Toffoli, of course, in Montreal, and then Cassian was the other one. So only four Canucks, and I guess that sort of speaks to you know, where the Canucks have been the last bunch of years and not a ton of uh, talent that has been sought after uh, by other teams. So uh, not a long list, but uh, man, there are a lot of former Canucks that are available to yeah. Seattle guys that uh, weren't ex- weren't protected by I don't, their teams. I don't really understand. I saw a little bit of like, you know, tit for tat fighting and like they'll rue the day and like on and on. And yeah. it's just like, look around the NHL and look at all the talent that's exposed You know, like one of the reasons that both Vegas and Seattle are going to be good in their first year, Vegas already accomplished it, Seattle's going to, and I don't think there's much doubt anymore. Um, You know, one of the reasons is that teams aren't very efficient at evaluating players, right? Um, Yeah, like the idea, the fact that an Adam Gaudet was exposed or a Troy Stetcher was exposed, like doesn't repudiate the idea that they're going to be you know, useful players for whatever team they're on or have lengthy NHL careers. There's lots of guys who are available in expansion who are going to have lengthy NHL careers. Um, I just, I, the whole, the whole reaction to it, to the X's thing, um, the evil X's thing, let's, let's call it that. Let's <laughs> channel Scott Pilgrim here. Uh, the whole reaction to that has sort of confused me. It feels like people are talking out of both sides of their mouth. It's like, look at all the talent available to be protected, but look at all these Canucks who clearly aren't good since they've been exposed. It's like, you can't think those two things at the same time. It's ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, whatever. It is what it is. No, I saw that a fair bit with Stetcher. Like people were like, you know, trying to dunk on Canuck fans that like Troy Stetcher. They looked, you know, Detroit doesn't want him clearly. And it's like, 
there's a lot that goes into coming up with your protected list. There's contractual situations, there's depth charts, there's, uh, you know, salary implications. There's like a bunch of different things. And just because Troy Stetcher wasn't protected by the Detroit Red Wings doesn't mean that the Red Wings don't like Troy from Richmond and they're trying to get rid of him. It's just that's his lot in life. And, you know, he's not alone. As you said, there's a shit ton of talent available and Seattle's going to get to pick in here on Wednesday night. It's going to be really fascinating. It, like it's going to be really fascinating. I'm really curious. All of all of uh, the mock drafts that I'm seeing, you know, are interesting. Some teams, some people are building some pretty good teams here. Uh, but but remember, like there's going to be players that aren't exposed that Seattle's able to get from teams by using their unique leverage. If they do this right, you know, there should be some protected players or multiple unprotected players that they're able to get from various teams. They should be able to do some Riley Smith, Jonathan Marshall. So things here that should be the, what they're like, that should be their sole focus. And I bet they pull it off. I do think they'll pull it off, even though I really don't think like in a ruthlessness test, you know, George McPhee was always going to get an A plus. That's who George McPhee is. I don't know that Ron Francis is quite that great of, um, you know, I want to say mf -er, but like <laughs> quite that great of Ruthless. Nonetheless, uh, I still think the opportunities just abound in this flat cap era for the expansion outfit. They're going to be really good. Really good right off the bat. I, I saw a handful of mocks that had Seattle taking Dylan DeMello from Winnipeg. Like, will, will, you, no. be will you be crushed no. if Mason Appleton doesn't go? No, it's just not going to happen. Like, it's just not going to happen. That's not a, that's not a, <laughs> that's not a consideration worth really spending a ton of time on if if I'm being totally honest with you like I just don't I don't see I don't see that I don't I really don't I will be stunned Jay Pat I don't want to like make a ridiculous like I'll eat my shoe like I'm not gonna do that <laughs> um, I'll eat 20 McNuggets like oh no I have to eat 20 McNuggets damn <laughs> I'll, <laughs> help, I'll help you <laughs> yeah didn't want an excuse to do that no I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like stake something like that on it but there are enough good RD in this class that you can avoid Dylan DeMello, in my opinion. Like, you know, you can take Nick Jensen or Justin Schultz. You know, you can take uh, lots of guys. You can take Travis Dermott, plays the right side. Uh, yeah. You can take Jan Ruda. Um, you can tr talk to David Savard and try to sign him. Uh, Vince Dunn plays the right side, right? Like, on and on. I mean, you, I, I can go on for days here. I can go on forever. Um, there are options on the right side of the defense. Uh, Justin Braun, uh, you know, it, the list goes on. Um, there are options on the right side of the defense. There are almost no ready-made power forwards making 900K next year, right? Like guys who scored at a credible second line rate last year on a really good checking line and who just go to the net with reckless abandon and play north-south hockey in a, in a productive, fun way uh, with top four, top four upside or top six upside. There's just Mason Appleton. It's going to be Mason Appleton. It's not going to be DeMello. DeMello is loved a lot more by the graphs crowd than he is by the industry as a whole. Uh, Appleton's the clear pick from Winnipeg. This is not, there's no suspense in this particular area, JPAT. The other storyline that I'm seeing a lot is this whole Carey Price thing. And obviously there's injuries now, uh, but this Ugh. idea that but Seattle would take him to be the face of the franchise like Marc-Andre Fleury was in Vegas. And I just don't see Carey Price as that kind of guy. Like Fleury embraces that, like everything he does, does with a smile on his face. And, and I'm not suggesting that Carey Price can't smile, but 
I, Carey Price seems like a pretty laid back dude, pretty subdued. And I don't know if he necessarily, like, I get the ties to the Tri-City Americans and he met his wife in Washington State and all that kind of stuff. And that's great. And, and there's probably some value there. I just don't know, even if Carey Price is healthy and they knew that he could play for a few more years at a really high level, like, I, I don't know that he's face of the franchise, get out into a brand new market, you know, um, do the community, and, and like I'm not suggesting he wouldn't do community work. I just think Mark Andre Fleury is a pretty indiv- unique individual. I'm not sure that Carey Price is a carbon copy in that regard. No, I agree with you, and I don't think I don't think they should take Carey Price. I'm sure they'll consider it. They have to consider it. But if like if you're looking for your Mark Andre Fleury analog, isn't isn't Brayden Holpe? who like lives his life with like the most Seattle lifestyle you've ever seen, like right down to the guitar and the love for <laughs> denim and plaid, um, and you know, the, the, the socially conscious politics, the hat, the, the Vesna, the, the Stanley, like if you're looking for yeah. the Mark Andre Fleury analog to appeal to Seattle, like, isn't it, isn't it Braden Holpe holding a Fender guitar in front of the EMP? Like, come on, <laughs> come on. What are we talking about? It's like, it's like, He's Eddie Vedder, but he also plays backup goal. Like that's uh, the 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 price thing has confused me a little bit. I I agree with you a hundred percent. I don't I don't really see it. And again, partly partly maybe I'm just so laser focused on the fact that like I just think your better analog anyway is the guy in Vancouver. And I'm not stumping to, to help management get off a Holpe's deal or anything. I just like am I wrong? Tell me I'm wrong here. <laughs> no, I can't. I mean, on that front, Holpe makes a ton of sense. But as he's at the Seattle out, Aquarium holding turtles, like, come on, <laughs> the marketing opportunities <laughs> abound. <laughs> but they, but so do their options in goal. So That's again, true. this is this is what makes this week like this is this is fun. This is yeah. like fantasy hockey, but in real life with real players and some big time decisions that uh, we'll get some answers to here on Wednesday. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. We had the information on Friday when we recorded Friday's uh, podcast, and then we did the special one on Saturday. Uh, You've mentioned Alex Edler briefly, but I just want to double back now that we have sort of the full information we've heard from his agent. Uh, This doesn't sound like a negotiating ploy. I know the agent said that the door's not closed and the gym is on record as saying the Canucks have made what they think is a credible offer. Uh, but this one looks and sounds and feels different. Like this does seem like Alex Edler is actually interested in exploring his options to play hockey outside of the city of Vancouver. Yeah, J-Pat. With Edler 
he's owed the respect of us understanding, like, this is not, he plans to test the market because negotiations fell through. This seems distinct, right? This is, wants to explore other opportunities, has never done it in his career. Uh, this feels final, you know, and both sides are saying, yeah, I mean, the door is open, but, right? The fact that both sides are singing from the same hymn book here, too, suggests to me that this is not a negotiating ploy. Um, you know, I, I do think the Canucks were and continue to be pretty hard line in terms of what they're likely to offer both Edler and Hamannick. Frankly, I think that's advisable. I think they had to play hardball, but this one does feel different. I do think this is Edler sort of taking stock of where he's been over the past few years and, and sort of wanting to go, you know, maybe chase some glory, maybe chase some playoff hockey one, one more time in his career. Um, you know, I, I do also think like, there are real costs to what happened for the Canucks last year, and, and this to me is probably one of them, right? Uh, the Holtby thing is probably related to, not not to an unhappiness quotient or anything, but you know that's a contract that they did last year that they're looking to shed, the Schmidt thing. Uh, I do think there's some unhappiness there, but also, you know, this is a trade that they made less than nine months ago that seems like they're going to have to undo it this offseason. Um there's real pain, like there's real costs coming from the way that the club conducted business last year. Uh, they're coming to the fore still, like this offseason is going to fundamentally be shaped by them. And, you know, Edler, Edler's part of that. Uh, it's another reason why I think the Dickinson acquisition matters. See, like bringing in a guy, character guy, everyone who's worked with him, support staffers, former teammates, sing his praises, like they're going to need some guys like that, especially in a world where they don't have you know, Edler, Schmidt, or Holtby. Like, that's a lot of weight to lose in one offseason. Uh, I do think they're going to... And Sutter. And Sutter, right. Like, bringing in some guys, you know, bringing in some guys like Dickinson, bringing in some guys to at least have, you know, your veteran core looking around the room and, and thinking that they can win. Again, I think that matters, especially after what this club endured last year. It's funny, because I've seen a lot of people think, you know, hey, if Edler isn't going to play in Vancouver... Uh, where's the next closest thing, literally, geographically, ge- geographically, <laughs> yeah. um, life, lifestyle-wise, you know, Seattle. It, it, but I'm wondering if Seattle is going to take Mark Giordano, and all indications are that uh, they're looking hard at Geo out of Calgary. Like, you know, would they want Alex Edler at this stage? Would they? Oh, I thought want you were going to say Calgary. No, I know everybody <laughs> was making. Oh, he's going to, you know, he's going to go to Calgary and he's going to score that hundredth goal against the Canucks. I, I'd he be probably tempted. will score the hundredth goal. <laughs> I'd be tempted if I was the Kraken to do Edler Stetcher third pair. I'd be tempted. I'd be. Te- I know it works. I know it works. Right. Yeah. Uh, both are character guys. It helps me, you know, ju- uh, like juke the rivalry with Vancouver. Uh, it's amazing, actually. By the way, like Vancouver and Seattle have never had a sporting rivalry, really. Right. Like I feel like a lot of Vancouverites sort of have a soft spot for the Mariners and the, and the, obviously the Seahawks. And, you know, I think Seattle uh, sports fans, like really hardcore sports fans in Washington state have sort of always gravitated toward the Canucks. Like I know, you know, I've always had some readers who engaged with me from Washington state and on and on. Um, It feels like there's never been bad sporting blood between Vancouver and Seattle. Do you think this hockey, the, the, the expansion team, do you think the Kraken changed that? They have to, right? Yeah, I think they do. I mean, Look, I'm old enough to remember the NASL days, the Seattle Sounders and the Whitecaps, the original iterations of those teams. And, uh, you know, there was a rivalry, but 
not at the level that I think this one's going to get to. And uh, like, let's be honest, the the current Whitecaps, you know, they live in envy of what the current Seattle Sounders do on the regular in terms of on-field success and off-field success. So I don't really feel, I know there's the Cascadia Cup and Portland's in there too, but I don't really feel because the Whitecaps haven't held up their end of the bargain competitively to to make that much of a rivalry. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it, you know, I, I think Seattle obviously has the guys up the highway here in Vancouver to look at. And right now the bar is pretty low. Like, you know, you've already suggested on this pod that they could have the second best defense in the division. They might have the second best team in the division. And so, you know, that would throw some gas on the fire right away if the Kraken are better than the Canucks. Like, I think that might be the best thing for the rivalry is if Seattle comes out of the gates and can emulate what Vegas did. I'm not going to say that they're going to replicate it entirely, but... Uh, if Seattle as an expansion team is better than the Canucks, I mean, people here are going to lose their shit. They are. Like, that's just the reality. It's just their and, – and, you know, part of me has time for it because I want this rivalry to work. But rivalries are born in the playoffs, and that's why, you know, Minnesota saw the Canucks as a rival in 2003, even though the Canucks didn't really in kind – and, you know, people here still look at the Blackhawks and you think of what Chicago has done since those three straight playoff matchups against the Canucks. Like the Canucks don't matter to people in Chicago and people here still hold a grudge against Boston. Well, Boston's been to two Stanley Cup finals since then as well. So yeah, they still don't uh, like they still don't like the. Um, yeah, they still don't like Canucks fans in Seattle, though. or sorry, in Boston, though. No, I get yeah. that, but that was but special. If you're, that was special. If you're coming up a little, it, it will never matter how much success Boston has thereafter. Boston fans will always hate Canucks fans, and Canucks fans will always hate Bruins fans. Like that is that 2011 enough, series but, was special. But uh, people here hold that grudge because the Canucks haven't done anything since. If you ask Boston fans right now, you know who's the Bruins' biggest rival. Some would give you the Canucks, but I think for most, the Canucks would be way down on any list. And the same with Chicago. Like, teams move on. They forge other rivalries. They get another, you know what? They get another playoff series. Right. (laughs) That's that's the key to it all. And the Canucks just haven't done enough of that, obviously, over the past decade. They were on the fringes of getting there with Vegas, right? Like, that that has a chance. Uh, But then, of course, they didn't play for a whole calendar year. Uh, which sort of, right, which sort of, you know, that that is too bad. Like, I I do think Vegas had a real shot at being Vancouver's next big rival. Um, but again, the Canucks have to hold up their end of the bargain and be really competitive. And and they actually have to play, right? Like, they actually have to play to forge that type of new rivalry. But but look, I I still think Canucks fans have some bitterness toward toward the Golden Knights. I, I still think there is something there. There's something there. Um, even if it's, you know, not, not fully formed yet. Uh, the Canucks are good. If the Canucks are good next year, I, I do think, I do think we'll get back to that. Uh, but you're right. I do. Th- I think if the Kraken, if the Kraken come out of the gate and are as good as I think they're going to be, uh, I think that's going to be really tough for a lot of Vancouver hockey fans to swallow. All right. As we finish up a couple of things here, and this is going to be the last re- pod that we do before the expansion draft selections are made. So I've had a couple of people say like, well, you guys got to get you know a new wager. You, you haven't had a wager here in a while, so uh, fair enough. I, I like that idea. We've had a history over our years of podcasting here of coming up with some some bets along the way. So you won the goal scoring season long derby. So I'm going to give you the first pick, and and this might be the easy one. Uh, who do the Canucks lose to the Kraken in expansion? I think it'll be Holtby ultimately. All right, then I'll take Cole Lind. Uh, I sort of 
am holding my nose while I do that because I tend to agree with you on the Holpe front, but we'll see. Okay, so we'll we'll, get the we won't answer. bet a steak dinner. Maybe this is like the side. We definitely will not. This is the side of no. spinach at the steak dinner. This is, yeah, one of those McNuggets in your in your 20-pack of McNuggets. <laughs> oh, no. Don't make me eat the 20 <laughs> McNuggets. No. I lost. Uh, DeMello. Uh, DeMello. No. <laughs> I also want to mention uh, the VIP should join Ian Mendez and Haley Salvian on Tuesday for the Athletic Hockey Show Live, a preview of the NHL expansion draft and the NHL draft at the end of the week. Uh, all kinds of guests, Corey Pronman, Scott Wheeler, John Vogel, Jesse Granger. Uh, and this is available on the athletic social media channels at 9 o'clock Pacific on Tuesday. And you find that at The Athletic. And uh, as you said, uh, once we get through with expansion, then yeah, on to the draft, first round on Friday and the subsequent rounds on Saturday. Uh, one last thing before we go, and we promo this on both the Friday and Saturday pods, and the story is now up. Uh, terrific reporting and writing from Pierre Lebrun, and this is the Luke Prokop story. He's the Calgary hitman defenseman, drafted and signed by Nashville, and making the brave choice to come out today. And so glad to see the story has been universally uh, well-regarded, respected, um, you know, the acceptance that I've seen on social is incredible and incredible. good for him. So if people haven't read the story, certainly I would direct them that way. And there's an accompanying podcast as well that you can find at The Athletic to hear more of Luke's story. But uh, this guy's going to be a trailblazer. There is no question of that. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Awesome for Luke to have the courage to come out the way he did, uh, to do it so publicly. Um Kudos to the Nashville Predators for the way that they handled it. His his tale about telling them and being pumped driving his car, you know, yeah. uh, you can't be you can't not be moved by that. Just awesome stuff. Um, I, really great. I also just want to take one sec. I want to I want to promo tomorrow. I'm dropping my big Kent Johnson future uh, feature pre draft feature on oh, Port Moody, not North Vans. Uh, Kent Johnson, <laughs> and um, we're gonna claim him though. I, I've got some good stuff in there. This this guy is going to be sick, though. Like, no question about it. This guy, for me, he's the highest upside offensive player in this 2021 class. If he's a bit available for the Canucks at nine, you know, that's going to be a, a huge win for, for a Canucks team that could use more elite skill. But in terms of playing a thinking man's game, in terms of the way that he obsesses over his skills and, and puts the work in, this kid, wildly impressive. Really looking forward to sharing that. Uh, you know, another another top Vancouver-based, like lower mainland product coming out. Uh, Barzil in recent years, Connor Bedard coming. Um, really, really a chance to be a golden era for high-skilled players out of this out of this region of the hockey world uh, over the next few years. But but Ken Johnson, like, do not sleep on the fact that this is a really really special, a really gifted young player uh, coming into the NHL in the next few years. All right. Well, I look forward to that, and I'm sure the VIPs do as well. Hey, you and I have been on this sort of run of Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, and, you know, look, people get into the routines. Because the expansion draft and the selections aren't going to be revealed until Wednesday evening, 
Uh, we're not going to do a Wednesday pod this week, so you can look for one. We'll alert you on the social channels. Uh, you'll know where to find us, and we'll certainly tweet out uh, the next time that we fire up a podcasting machine. But if you're looking for one on Wednesday ahead of expansion, that's not going to happen this week. So I just wanted to alert the VIPs to that. Check out our comment section for every podcast episode at the Athletic app. Write and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for just three nine. 99 per month. All right. A big week in the hockey world continues. Of course, this time next week, we'll be in the countdown to unrestricted free agency, and we'll see what that holds for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, some people thought that I was done with the VanCast already. They were surprised that uh, we popped up with a special one on the weekend here till the end of the month. So uh, we're into the final couple of weeks of uh, doing this in this fashion. So uh, Yes, it's coming to a close, but not quite yet. Not with the week ahead. So uh, we'll continue to pump out three pods a week for you here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com. Finish off strong, J-Pat. Strong, J-Pat.